Welcome to Leadership Unleashed. Today's leaders must be experts in emotional intelligence, the art of persuasion, and masters of motivation. Each week, you'll hear hints and tips to help you develop confidence, build your identity, and your skills as a leader. Here's your host, authentic leadership expert, Leslie Hunter. Hi, and welcome to the show. So I think it's probably about time that I laid some of my cards on the table with you all because I have some very specific views about leadership. Not everybody agrees with me, and in fact, some of these are quite controversial, but I've successfully managed to defend both my views and my own research um, quite recently to achieve a doctorate in the field of leader development. And this is where I want you all to focus your attention um, and listen carefully to the distinction that I'm making. Leadership is a process. Leaders are people. So I thought I'd try an experiment today. And just before I record this show, I typed leadership development as a search phrase into Google. And I got 99 million hits in under half a second. Now, you can try this yourself, and I'm sure depending on your browser, your internet speed, your location, and so on, you'll get a slightly different variation in the results, but you're still going to get a really, really big number. I mean, 99 million hits. So I looked in a little more detail at the top results of that search and found they were all referring to the process of leadership. They were talking about training. Many sites were offering traditional qualifications, MBAs, and so on. So I did another search, and this time I put in leader development, and I got 56 million hits in that same half-second time frame. Now, 56 million is still a big number, still a lot of results, but it's 44 million less than leadership. So a question I've got is, does this support my argument, really, that um, quite often there's a much greater focus on the process, maybe, than on the person? So I thought, right, I'm going to dig down a little deeper. And I found that two of the top five results in my leader development search were from world-recognized organizations, such as Forbes and McKinsey, and both were saying the same thing albeit in a slightly different way, but their message was leadership development is failing to develop the leaders. Now, I think that's quite interesting. It's something I actually agree with, and it's supported by my own research. So why then are organizations around the world continuing to pour investment into leadership development programs? Well, I think it's going to be very interesting to hear what my guest on this show is going to think about that, because he has quite a pedigree, and he has a fascinating and varied background, and I'm sure he's going to tell us all about that. He's a real-life leader working with other real-life leaders every day, and this work has been recognised and acknowledged by being awarded the accolade of UK Sales Trainer of the Year for 2013-2014. So a big welcome to Mike Lever. Hi, Mike, and welcome to the show. Hi, Leslie. Thanks very much, and uh, what a nice welcome. Appreciate that. Thank you very much for that. Oh, I'm delighted to have you in, involved. Um, and Mike, I've already... Uh, I, sorry, I've just... Go, those, go those, num- those numbers are astonishing. Those numbers are quite amazing, aren't they? Um, they really are. I mean, I, I mean, big numbers for me to get my head around. 99 million... 
But it, I, I started doing a little bit more digging and thought, well, how, how does this correlate to, you know, the amount of spend on leadership development? And I must be honest, it, oh, it just got too hard. I've put that in the too hard pile, maybe for the next <laughs> show. <laughs> so, Mike, come on, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, if you can't quite place the accent, I'm originally from Lancashire in the northwest of England, just north of Manchester, the home of the world famous soccer team Manchester United. Um, so, Lancashire lad, I've worked around the UK quite a bit, and I've sold, I've, I've sold the big three F products. That's three F products. This is a family show. <laughs> family show. Fishing tackle. Fragrance candles and financial products. The three, the, 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 it's the sales journey that a lot of people can relate to, I'm sure. Fishing tackle, fragrance candles, financial products. It's that typical journey. <laughs> All at the same time? <laughs> Not at the same time. Fortunately, that would have been weird. That would have been too weird even for me. <laughs> well, that's absolutely amazing. So, <laughs> so from fish, fishing tackle to, uh, okay, fishing tackle to financial products. Okay, financial products. So at, yes. at what stage, um, at what stage did you first experience this concept then of actually being a leader? Well, that was the first, well, the first time I got a team. Now, I'm not suggesting the first time I got a team I was a leader because I, quite <laughs> frankly, I wasn't. I, I, I very, I very barely scratched it as a manager, I think, the first time around. So if any of the guys who used to report to me are listening, they all still talk to me, but I do apologise because I think on reflection I was pretty lousy, probably as a manager, but certainly as a leader. And that was in 1996 when I was invited to um, to run a, the national uh, sales training team. So this was part of the head office of the bank that I work for, and uh, yeah, I was invited to uh, to run to run the sales training team. This brand new concept that the, that realised they needed as a sales organisation. Okay, but you you say that you were invited. Now, you yes. know, I mean, I get yeah. invited to parties. I get invited, <laughs> but you know, invited. Were, were you internal already? Were you headhunted? What did you have to apply? What were the criteria? Or was it just that you were sort of the last person out of the room when they were looking for somebody to... <laughs> Thank, thanks for bigging it up. Uh, what, what, what happened was, uh, I wasn't concentrating. No, what had happened was we had a new sales director come in from um, pharmaceuticals and he'd come across and I think he'd seen that the good work I was doing in the region I worked in terms of sales training. So once a, a very big project for the bank was out of the way, um, he recognized that we needed to have an internal sales training team that was initially part of the, the, the corporate training team, but then was taken out and was placed under sales. And uh, as I said, he invited me, said, this is what we're doing, and he'd very much like me to head it up and would have come across and do it. But what was interesting was up until that point, I'd never been a manager of a team. And whilst it was a small team, it clearly wasn't my managerial skills that was being brought across, well, certainly not leadership skills. I was being brought across because I was... Uh, I was a, a good practitioner. I could apply the trade of sales training. No, so no. I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure on reflection. It was the best 
the, the best reasons. But but isn't that isn't that really what often happens? People people are very very good technically. They're good technicians, practitioners, and as a consequence, you kind of rise to the top of the pile, get noticed, and then quite often, what I've found, um, I'll give you an example from my past life. I used to do an awful lot of work in schools. We would mm. see some excellent excellent classroom teachers who were then identified as being the outstanding practitioners. And as a consequence of that, they got fast-tracked and put onto the management program. But it's a very, very different skill set being a very good practitioner and technician in your field or your trade to being a manager to, to then that step change again to being a leader, isn't it? It is fascinating to see, isn't it, where the, this this idea that if you're good at that, therefore you must be good at being the manager of it. And the number of really good salespeople that companies have lost because they have promoted them to be the manager of them, when in fact that's not where their expertise lies. So they become disenfranchised in that role, they leave a business, and as a result they lose the good the good stuff that they were doing as the salesperson. It's, it is a, a, a curious move and it's endemic. It really is. So, w- so whatever the industry you've mentioned, school and certainly in finance, that is common. So it's kind of like talent management, managing them out the door, managing them out the profession. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a good move. They're, they're, for... they're really, let's promote them beyond their abilities. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is, isn't it? It's a, it's a curious thing, this. Okay, so let's, so let's go back then. So you, you started off managing a small team. But you didn't stop there. What had happened was I'd I'd run the sales training team for the best part of two years. And then there was an opportunity to run, there was was an opportunity to run one of the bigger branches, Uh um, which was in Birmingham City Centre. So in terms of the bank then, it was one of the three leading branches for for business um, that the bank had. So the, the bank recognised something, I'm not entirely sure what it was, and uh, as a result of a few conversations, next thing I knew I was over at Birmingham, so after a couple of years managing a very small team, I then got one of the three biggest branches that was in the bank network at the time, uh, with a bigger team, but, but what's really interesting, I'm sure you'll love this Leslie, even up until this point I still hadn't had any management development, let alone anything that might even qualify as leadership development. That's just like taking you and putting you in a situation and saying, "This is what we expect of you." But by the way, we're not going to we're not going to give you any training, any development, any 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 of the skills, or explain to you how we would expect you to behave in that situation. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Then, so on the basis of that and your experience, tell me in your own words, Mike, how would you define a leader? What is it to be a leader? As you say, I don't know if this is a cop-out answer, but I would say a leader is defined by the fact that they've got a follower or followers. Well, I, I, you see, I agree with you entirely because uh, my take on it, and again, please chip in and, and agree or disagree, but my take is that you can teach somebody the process um, and you say you hadn't even had that up to that point, but even if somebody had taught you sort of the mechanics that again is back to the the, the sort of tactical and practical element and to me a leader is much more it's about that being and it's about understanding the emotional connections the psychological aspects and and that's something that I know that you've done quite a bit of work on I think was that not one of the reasons why you were recognized as a sales trainer because of your interest in sort of the psychological aspects of of developing people 
Yeah, the, the psychological element is huge, and it was funny, I was doing a piece of work for one of the, the associations, which I know you'll know, the NEPIC Basmi guys over here. Mm-hmm. And the NEPIC, it's um, <laughs> the, pro, the, pro, the processing uh, folk who are based around Teesside, so it's kind of the oil and gas industries and the big the big industries. I was doing some work with those guys, but on a, as, as the collective um, and on the sales side, and one of the guys was chatting with me afterwards, and he said, what's the what's the one thing that you think if, if there was something you could have known when you started your, your sales career 20 odd years ago what's the one thing you wish you'd known and I said well it's something that came just within the last couple of years we've been working with um, a, do- a doctor of psychology an amazing guy called John Duggan and he's you know he's, he got his PhD about 30 years ago so he's uh, older congr- than me is he tell me he's con- older congratulations than me congratulations <laughs> all of us and congratulations on getting your doctorate I know Thank you've you. got a lot of grafting for that so well done you Mrs Dr Hunter well done uh, and, and the work that John's done really opened our eyes up because we're, we're always there was always something at the back of our mind that the that the brain clearly plays an important role but what John's been able to do is bring his experience of 30 odd years and it's kind of been downloading that matrix style into our brains for the last couple of years and we've simply taken that and said well from a from a sales interaction in fact beyond that from a person to person interaction this is some of the some of the things that are going on and just to understand that you know say what's the thing the one thing I wish I'd known 20 odd years ago and it is an awareness what goes on in the buyer's head I've, I've always said that it's much easier if somebody can choose to buy from you than you trying to sell to them. And exactly the same from that that people-to-people bit in the leader-followers um, relationship. Well, if they choose to follow you, because to try and make somebody follow you, is you're on, I think you're on a hide into nothing with that. Well, absolutely. And I mean, all the traditional, and, and again, I'm, I mean, I'm scratching the surface, but all the traditional sales training that I've ever had any experience of, you know, is exactly what you say. People buy from people, um, you know, build the relationship, develop the network, make people want to buy from you rather than try to sell to them. And, yes. and I would imagine, you know, there are so many parallels. As a leader, what you want is you want to to encourage people to want to do whatever it is you're trying to achieve rather than tell them. Exactly. To me, that's that's management. Uh, uh, Yeah, and and you know what? The management word and the leader thing, how they get interchanged as though it's the same thing, and it's amazing, isn't it? They're still, still... With all the research that's gone on over the last, I, I don't even, HBR and Forbes have been writing about this for decades, and yet still somehow these words get interchanged as though it's the same thing, and it couldn't be, they couldn't be any further apart. Exactly, and it's and to me, it, it, I want to take it that next step further and say, you know, if we still keep talking and banging on about leadership and we need to promote and develop leadership, then all we're saying is what we need to do is to put in the processes to, you know, to make sure that we've got, yeah, maybe some appropriate strategies in place, but without mm. the people to implement those strategies, it just isn't going to work. Yes, and it might sound counterintuitive for a trainer to say, albeit I've never professed to be a trainer of uh, of leadership, and I almost said trainer of leaders then. (laughs) But but, but, But you you are, Mike. You you cannot train somebody to be a leader. Exactly what you said, and I echo exactly what you said there, which is you can... You can help people around the strategy piece. You can you can help them to understand ways in which they might apply some tools. So give you know help them to build that toolkit. You can't train somebody to be a leader, and yet again, just as management, uh, just as manager and leader get interchanged, 
this this concept of people selling courses that will train you on how to be a leader and i'm you know i might be upsetting people and i'm not doing it intentionally it's a personal belief i genuinely don't see how you can train somebody to be a leader you might be able to develop them and some might say right. that well i'm just playing with words but in my head there is a big distinction between training somebody and developing them well and, i, yeah, I coach agree them, you. mentor them <laughs> but you ain't gonna train somebody to be a leader Absolutely, and I and I agree with you. And I think I'll just go and have a quick look at my website and make sure I haven't put on. <laughs> that I, um, I'm, I'm sure I say developing effective leaders, not training. <laughs> but and, yeah, and again, it isn't it isn't toying with words, is it? It's no. There it's, is it's, there's, there's such a difference between, like I say, you can coach them, you know, reflect with them and help them to help them to develop in that way. Well, one but, of the we don't profess to train them by giving them some processes to follow. Exactly, exactly, and and I mean one of the one of the areas that I I touched on a lot in my research was in, was on this concept of authentic leadership. Yes. Um, and you know the whole area of authenticity, etc. But something that I focused down on very very strongly was the fact that the uh, all the research, academic research, is saying <coughs> that the most effective and the most authentic leaders are highly self-aware. So this whole concept of self-awareness, of, of, in effect, reflecting all the time, having this thirst for knowledge and, and being a, having lifelong learning as part of your DNA, but yes. also knowing where your strengths are and in, in instances where you do need to develop and then saying, right, what's the best way for me to develop this? Or actually, do I need to develop in this area? Or do I bring other people in to, you know, to cover that, that perceived weakness or area in me that's not as strong? So surely in your day-to-day -day work with the, these individuals, you said that you don't, you don't train leaders. Okay, so you develop them. It may be in the arena of sales, but you yes. are working with people who are, who are leaders and who are at the leading edge of what they are doing in their profession, yeah? Yes. Okay, so what, what do you think is the biggest challenge for you then as an individual trying to develop um, in effect, the leaders of the future for the 21st century. What's the biggest challenge that they're facing, and how do you help them overcome that? The, there's a number of things. The first, the first big challenge is just going back to what you were saying about um, those leaders who are self-aware and recognise that there is a gap. And mm -hmm. and the first part is to. Um, I don't know if it's just. A mechanism that serves a defence where some folk will say, I, "I don't need any, or I'm not able to be developed further." And, oh, and in some yeah. cases, it might be because they're looking for, which I understand, they might be looking for something from us as as consultants, external consultants, saying, "Okay, are you the folks who I need to be working with?" So I get that. I kind of get that. They might be testing the relationship. They could be saying, "Actually, I don't know if I need something, but I might need something, but I don't know if you're the people to do it." Mm -hmm. Once we get past that, I'm, I'm not sure that there are necessarily new uh, challenges that, that the the leaders of the next 10, 20, 30 years are going to face because I'd, I wouldn't like to think that um, this notion of uh, generation X, Y or Z, I, I wouldn't like to think that the ideas of how they need to be trained will affect how the leaders need to be developed. And, and just for that in context, I was at um, 
uh, CIPD, CIPD event last week. Right, and we were just, talk- just a second, because, you know, some, some of the listeners may not uh, know. Sorry. So, so, so a- CIPD, it's the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Should I keep away from abbreviations, Mike? That's fine. So, so, <laughs> so, so I was at one of them events last week and we were talking very specifically about sales training. And we were talking around how sales training may need to be adapted so that we adopt some of the um, ways in which Generation XYZ, yes. so the millennials and beyond, will want to receive that information. And that's fine. For sales training, yes, there will need to be some adoption of how that training is developed and, and delivered. But for the future generations of leaders, um, there may well be some technological adoption that's brought in but principally that concept of mentoring which is a good couple of thousand years old as a concept yeah, will yeah. continue i hope and coaching and again whether whether you're following grow model or wow pick a pick a model i'm looking on my well try challenge here, which choice is, change that's my model <laughs> <laughs> i've tried to keep away from that because i know that one's yours but but whatever but whatever the model is i think at the heart of developing them developing those leaders it's got to be they need to be mentored. Now, maybe the challenge will be finding somebody with whom they enjoy a comfortable and trusting mentor-mentee relationship. Yeah. But that isn't a new that isn't a new challenge. That is the challenge of today, last week, and next week. The coach, same thing. Enjoying that good coaching relationship with somebody who's they know how to do it and how to work the relationship because of the big emotional. Um, buy into that as well but the people to people bit will always be the same if you want to be a leader in 10 years time you're still going to need a follower and you're still going to have to have what goldman's article is probably 20 years old now i think but but it's still the same what daniel goldman was writing in 95 is true today and maybe the authentic piece the authenticity as leader feels like that natural progression on from when he was writing about emotional intelligence emotional intelligence Yeah, yeah yeah i think i think I think an awful lot of what you're saying is resonating because you're right about the technology, there'll be technological changes, and I think the, the changing context of leadership, this, mm. this whole concept of what they're calling VUCA, here's me abbreviating now, the volatile, uncertain, chaotic and ambiguous, uh, right. the, you know, these new environments, and also the fact that... Uh, maybe not so much for you in the sales arena, but from me working with... Um, with leaders in predominantly for the last year or so in large manufacturing organizations they're starting to work much more uh, in matrix structures and uh, remotely so they've got virtual teams so you know they're actually quite often leading people where they don't get that degree of personal interaction and they certainly don't get the face-to-face interaction that maybe you and I have experienced in our careers you know as as leaders and and that is going to call on very clear and strong communication if nothing else when you are exactly saying that when it's the matrix management style where it's the the virtual where it is that those great distances and whilst whilst the transport and the um the communication links we have now does shrink the world when it comes to having those conversations, a lot of folk would still like to have the eye-to-eye, that eyeball conversation. And, and Skype and other services are really good for that. But there is something, there is something that does make it a bit easier when, when you're in the same room. When you're in the but, same but again, room, yeah, yeah. We've enjoyed that for years, haven't we? We've had that for hundreds of years. I mean, the military has worked on that. And again, I know they've got that very strong chain of command. But, but certainly in the military, if you've got a, you know, a general isn't always going to get 
face to face with with all of the those uh, soldiers in their line. So. Very true, very true. So, I mean, what we've got here is, so far, we've got management and leadership, where we're seeing there's a distinction. We've got leadership and leaders, where we're seeing there's a distinction. And you've brought in coaching and mentoring. Now, I mean, don't start me on coaching and mentoring. (laughs) Because, again... Pandora's box. You've opened another can of worms there. (laughs) (laughs) Because again, so many people use those terms synonymously and they are very, very, very different processes. Both have their place and they can be incredibly complementary. But that's another that's another page on my website that we'll go. (laughs) But no, I I want to right, I I want to ask you a question now, and this may sound a bit quirky and a bit off the wall. Um but I, I am being serious about this. We're talking about having to develop relationships. We're talking about having to develop contracts between leaders and followers. Mm. I think you probably know from my background and certainly from some of the work that I've done that one of my more controversial approaches is to say that you can use metaphor and you can use metaphor and storytelling particularly well uh, to get across some of the key messages about how leaders should behave. Yes. Now, the metaphor that I prefer to use is I use the metaphor of um, a human interaction with a canine. So it's yes. you know human and dog interaction. And I, I believe you don't have a dog and have never actually had a dog. I had a rabbit, but I'm not entirely sure <laughs> that, the, that the human rabbit... <laughs> connection is quite the same no i don't think that quite worked well i don't know i have two sisters who who and a rabbit both have had two sisters who have both been uh, dog owners and one sister in particular Tracy who at any one time normally has several dogs she, she normally had four dogs at a time she's got a couple of dogs at the minute uh-huh. um, and and very close to my sisters so I've had I've had a lot of opportunity to interact with her dogs but also to observe the relationship that she enjoys with her with her dogs with her pack and she's very much the pack leader she is absolute and they respect her as such right now now this is this is where it starts to get a bit iffy shall we say for a very technical term there a bit iffy for some people because okay. they say right being a pack leader what you mean is being the alpha male what you mean is being sort of top dog you know all, all these these old analogies and that's mm. not what i'm saying and i don't think it's what you're saying either no i'm not i'm not saying that at all i'm 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 choosing the words carefully and the, it's what i see and I, I don't want to try and um, suggest that the dogs have full human traits. I'm not saying oh, that at all, but there is something where you observe the relationship from day one. And, and by the way, I've said to my sister, if, if I ever get reincarnated as a dog, I would love to come back as one of her pets because I've never seen so much love and devotion. And I, and I know how much you love Kino, but the love and devotion between Tracy and her dogs is phenomenal. I mean, the, the the lengths that she will go to to serve her dogs, and this is part of the interesting observation from the relationship, is how much she does for them, and in turn that seems to cause them to want to follow her even more. Now, that's an interesting choice of phrase, how, how much she does to serve her dogs, and the and, analogy and there is that the leader is actually serving the followers. No question about that. One bit. The, the most effective and not only between Tracy and her dogs but back in business you, you see that and and sometimes observers can be confused as to 
hang on, who's who's in charge here? And and what Tracy's done is she's, with her dog, she has always created an environment where they are extraordinarily comfortable. They know that if there is a Maslow's hierarchy of needs for dogs, they're right at the top. They're self-actualized <laughs> they're as a self-actualized. dog. <laughs> and, and, and genuinely, honestly, Leslie, is an amazing thing to watch. And in turn, they will do whatever it is that is needed to serve her back when the, when when it is appropriate to she lives in a lovely in a lovely little village where there's uh, the moors stretch out behind them and going out with them they would they would stick with her and mm. and she would say you know off you go if you want once it was all open and there was nobody around and other dogs around and they'd run off and yeah she would take leads if it was needed as a as some safety measure or precaution but she didn't need to because the trust in that relationship was astonishing to watch. And bearing in mind the breeds, so we're talking about a short herd border collie, uh-huh. we're talking about um, a German shepherd, uh-huh. um, a, a staffy, and, oh, and a Rottweiler. Well, fa- now, they are four. A fabulous pack, aren't they? Yeah. Be- never, never a fight between them. Yeah. And she got them at very different ages. Never once any fight between them um never an issue with other people who were clearly being of no threat to tracy there was there was never anything because that relationship and how she well how she raised them okay but, a but phenomenal relationship let, let me play devil's advocate here you know and, and and just say some people would say oh yeah great very nice story yes i can picture it you know picture mm. this the rolling hills etc um but she just trained them very well no she didn't and this was the interesting thing whenever you went round, apart from the very basic um again the house trend other, other than, you know, this is where you food, you drink, and when you need to do your business, this is where you go for it. Other than that, there was, there was nothing. It was, it was going back to what I said before. So sorry to repeat myself, but it was Tracy very much set the, set the tone of this is, this is kind of how we all live together, and I'm going to serve you now, and in return, kind of, you'll, it was almost this agree- century I can't believe I'm using this words. It was almost this just unsaid agreement between them, which they all they all understood. Well, that's fascinating because one of the key areas that came out of of my research was that I said that one of the the things a leader really had to understand was all about role and mm. not just the role of their followers but their role as a leader and to be able to unpick that further and say you know what are the expectations on all parties involved what are the boundaries so the role the responsibilities the expectations the boundaries and I think that that's really what what you're talking about there but but just let me throw some more figures at you because we started this with all those big numbers let me give you some more big numbers do you know that there are 9 million dogs in the UK? Wow. 60.8 million in Europe. Right. And 83.5 million in the USA, all as household pets. Right. Now, if it is as effective as you are suggesting it is there from your sister, and let's be clear, we're not saying that that's in every case, obviously, in every household, it's not like that. No. But, but in some, it can be. Then are we missing a trick? Have we not got a ready-made development tool already in these households? Maybe it's just not understood enough. Maybe this is the bit of research that you need to do next now that you've got a lot of time on your hands. <laughs> oh, thank you for that. 
what? Hey, I, I want to mention in the next book, Leslie. <laughs> the next book, okay, Mike. <laughs> but genuinely, it does. It, it is. A, it is an interesting relationship, isn't yeah. it? And why between those animals? And I'm sure. Um, listeners who've got horses would suggest there may be a similar relationship there and it may be the case it's just that domestication of the dog and easily observable day-to-day relationship and uh, and you you just you, you see it and when you see it working you know you're seeing it working well, I tell you what, Mike, I'll do a deal with you. Um, okay. I won't just give you a mention when I write the book. Um, you can have your enti- own chapter, your entire oh, chapter, yes. as long as you promise to write something for me about how you can develop leaders using your rabbit. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so no, there's a deal. That was a good deal up until that <laughs> <laughs> A good deal up until I'm that feeling <laughs> properly ripped off. <laughs> Just okay. before we finish then, let's take this back into the workplace. Yeah, good, um, we're bringing this back round. <laughs> yeah, let, 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 let's get, get serious again for a minute. You've got somebody sitting in front of you. If you were to give them your top three tips with the benefit of hindsight, what would you say to them? You know, okay, I'm putting you in a position now. I'm asking you to be a leader. G- give me some of your best tips. Build a great team around you, mm-hmm. but then give them the space and the confidence to be great, to grow and to shine. And as part of that, we've already used the C word, but the coaching is a must. Yeah. When when you've when you've recruited or built a fantastic team around you, it's remembering that you brought them in because they are fantastic. And I think you were saying earlier that you're not going to have all the answers, but that's the whole point of having the great team. Bring the great team and don't be frightened if if they're better than you. In fact celebrate the fact that you managed to find people who who were going to be the future mm, exactly so so, so okay. build that great team and give them the space the confidence to be great give them that space give them the confidence to grow and give them the space and confidence to shine and uh, and that has got that's the the first and the biggest tip for me the second one is and we've used the serve word again is serve your team so that they're going to serve their customers and whether they're internal or external, whether they're retail or wholesale, whoever their customers are, that rubs off. If you're serving them, that becomes, this is how we do it round here and they will go on and serve their people. And that's a, that's a really, really strong message that's coming through, this concept of a leader serving and not, not just sitting there, you know, at the, on the great white charger or in the corner office or or whatever the leader actually creating that relationship and being part of that that service relationship that two-way communication yeah absolutely right and and and, uh, it's easy to say and i appreciate it is quite difficult and again going back to goldman and going back to the authenticity piece um to get that right you've you've really got to know yourself and and sometimes that is a that is a long journey to you know to learn who you really are and what you're about and what you're on and not only to know your own shortcomings but to admit to them and that can be tough that can but- be that can be very tough but i i I'd, again i don't know about you but but i found that some of the most effective leaders that i have um experienced and engaged with are the individuals who <laughs> certainly don't have all the answers but at least they know the right questions to ask yes and are prepared to accept and admit their own vulnerability and i think that's a key area is being able to say i am vulnerable as a leader i don't have the answer to everything um and i know i know myself and i know myself well enough to be able to admit that and not perceive that as a weakness 
Absolutely, and that yeah. is when you when you come across somebody who's like that, you, you know that they're a little bit special. And in fact, I would link into my third tip, which is about you share the vision, but then you welcome ideas on how to make it even better and how to deliver it because they're not they're not the ones with all the answers they might okay. have some great questions but yeah. but it's saying this is the vision this is this is this is where i see us going and then get an input because you know the, the, some somebody in the team may well have some incredible ideas that, that the leaders never even thought of, but the leader isn't going to poo-poo them they're not going to fire hose them they're going to dilute it down they're going to welcome that, that input so there's the final four, fourth F that I've been waiting for right through this program. Fire hosing. <laughs> fire hosing. There you are, Mike. I've gone from fishing tackle to fire hosing. It's fishing water all around, really, isn't it? That's <laughs> Mike, that has been absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for your time and your insights. Congratulations again on the Sales Trainer of the Year. And, and just thank you for, for sharing not just your experiences, but also your, uh, your honest opinion of um, not just my work and my research, but also how your sister has contributed to your development and your understanding. Um, and I'm desperate to read this chapter about the rabbit so you're <laughs> not quite so desperate to write it <laughs> well congratulations too because your show is amazing i've really enjoyed listening to it oh, thanks um, so much. You, you, your book is fabulous I mean, thank you I, I've, re I've really enjoyed that and i think the review on amazon says as much and congratulations on the doctorate because I, I fully appreciate how much work you've put into that so well done to you well thank you very much mike and um i hope to have you back on the show maybe in another few months time uh, to take this conversation further because then we might be able to tease out coaching and mentoring. Oh, okay. Oh, there's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening today. For more information about Leslie and her book, Who Put You in Charge? Go to lesliehunter.com. There you can also join the pack, a free membership group where you'll receive regular hints and tips from Leslie as well as access to some great leadership resources. So how are you doing as a leader? See how you measure up by downloading Leslie's free iPad app, the Effective Leader Scoreboard, available on iTunes. We'll see you next week for another edition of Leadership Unleashed.